Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. It is good to see you. Welcome to Life Community. And if you're new around here, if you're joining us for the first time in a while, uh, we are actually launching a new series today. We are going to be going through the book of Philemon. And if you're like, wait a minute, aren't we in Exodus? We didn't finish that, right? We're going to take a two-week break. Uh, Philemon is a very short little letter by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, and I thought it was a great conversation. And then let me just say, uh, don't miss the first weekend in August, and for the next several weeks, we've got a great series planned back in Exodus as we go through Exodus chapter 20. And Exodus chapter 20 is one of the the most profound and influential texts in all of history. It is just an amazing text. So many of the things in our justice system and in what we understand as Western civilization and society comes from Exodus chapter 20 and the chapters that follow. And so I just want to encourage you, um, maybe if you're like, oh, Ten Commandments, heard them, been there, done that, um, bet you can't quote them all right now off the top of your memory. Some of you can, some of you can't. So you definitely need to come to the series. But even if you can, we're going to really dig in on a deeper level. And I think what you're going to see is these family instructions to God's people. Uh, we're going to see how much freedom actually they are intended to bring. And so uh, I'm super excited about that. So that's launching in two weeks. And for the next or, uh, two weeks, we're going to have a great little conversation as we go through the book of Philemon. But before we do that, I'm just going to throw a slide up here. And this is my email, and this is the church phone number, which you can either leave a voicemail on or text. And if any of you have questions or concerns in this new phase of this crazy long season that we're all in, I just encourage you to give me a call. I would love to uh, actually tell me a good time to call because I'd like to have a conversation if you have any questions or concerns um, during this season, okay? So... That's the info there, and I'd love to talk to you. Um, all right, now, let me just ask, getting into what we're talking about today, how many of you in this season just feel a sense of tension? You don't have to raise your hands. Those of you, you at home, I can't see you, so, you know, uh, <laughs> in the room, there's plenty of hands going up. You can't see them. They're not on camera. I am, but yeah, so you, you at home too, right? Um, how many just feel like a little, maybe a little bit of frustration? Yeah. Um, let me ask you this, because I think I, I've had some conversations around this, and I know this is some people in the room. How many of you have some, relationship, some relationships in your life, maybe with family members or extended family members or maybe with coworkers or some friends that are tense and they aren't in a good place or they aren't in the place they used to be before this whole season started? Yeah, a few... Actually, quite a few hands going up. And, and how many of you uh, just struggle sometimes with trying to figure out how do I communicate with people that it seems like maybe it's a coworker or a friend or a social media thing, right? You know, like how do I communicate with, with these people in my life that seem like they're just on a whole different wavelength? Yeah. Since interesting place we find ourselves in as a society, isn't it? It's an interesting place. I think it's kind of scary. It's an interesting place that we find ourselves in when um, civil discourse and dialogue is, becomes so difficult, where conversations become so heated so quickly, isn't it? 
And, and what I want to talk about today is for, for followers of Jesus, I want to give you some tools that I think will be really helpful, hopefully, if you implement them in walking out this season well as a follower of Jesus and communicating well and loving well. And we're going to see that in the book of Philemon. Now, here's what we're going to see. If you want to start turning over to Philemon, um, go to the New Testament and head right uh, until you get to the little books, and it's there. Um, but the book of Philemon is, is literally a, a small one-chapter letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to this guy named Philemon. And see, as followers, early followers of Jesus burst out into the, uh, the Roman Empire, Paul, if you don't know who Paul is, uh, everybody's heard of the Apostle Paul. But just to set the stage for why this is like Paul's work is so substantial is, is because Paul, the Apostle Paul, he is the disciple. When Jesus said, hey, I want you after the resurrection, he gathers his guys and says, you're going to be my witnesses to Ju Jerusalem, you know, hometown, Judea or Samaria, Judea, like your kind of region, right? Samaria and the uttermost ends of the earth, like the rest of the known earth. And the disciples are kind of like, cool, we got, we got this Jerusalem thing under control. We've got you know, maybe we're, we're working on the Judea and some Samaria, Samaria thing. And Paul goes, okay, you guys got that? You group of apostles, good. I got the rest of the world. <laughs> now, you know, the other disciples contribute too. And they, they, they help in the cause, especially later in their lives. But really it's Paul who, who carries the message of the gospel along with um, some partners to the ends of the, the known world, to the whole, the, to the Mediterranean Rim, which is the Roman Empire. And literally, what they knew of is the whole civilized world. And plants these little gatherings, these churches, or they're known as ecclesias, gatherings, because Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, which literally means ecclesia, a gathering or a movement, not a building. Uh, we, buildings are great, but it's, it's not. I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, that nothing can stop it. Nothing can stop it. And so Paul believes that, and he carries this out. And along the way, he comes to a town uh, where he preaches called Ephesus. And we don't know if Paul ever actually was in Colossae, but scholars think when, when Paul was in this little town called Ephesus up here, um, he met this guy named Philemon, who was quite a wealthy gentleman. He was of some means. Um, and, and so this wealthy gentleman, uh, Philemon, comes to know Jesus as his personal savior, as his Lord, as his king. And so he, he comes to know Jesus and join the community of faith. And it so impacts and changes his life and transforms him that he goes back home to Colossae and he plants a, a church in his hometown and he opens his house up and his heart is moved with love and hospitality and people start finding Jesus and this church starts growing in his home. He's a, he's a stellar guy. Um, he's also a slave owner. <gasps> Now, that is, right? For us, that's shocking. That's shocking. But let me, let me tell you something. At this point in the world, in, in every nation of the earth, there has been slavery. And much of that up until recently. And still, even to this day, with traffic and, and, and things, there are um, way, 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 it's a huge problem. Let's just put it that way. Even today in our culture. Not in our, so much in our culture, but trafficking, yes. But um, around the world, slavery and trading still, but every nation in the world had slaves. And at this point in the Roman empire, 
It was so common. It was so common that you couldn't even really, it would be like telling you and I, you need to just get rid of your electricity in your car. You'd be like, really? How how would that even work? How would I get by, right? And, And that's the way they thought about it in this period in history. And so here's what happens in the story, just to set it up. There's three characters, Paul who writes this, uh, Philemon, who's this wealthy believer whose heart's been transformed by Jesus and loves Jesus with all his heart. And then you have this guy named Onesimus. And Onesimus is actually a slave. And what we find out about him as we put two and two together through the letter is it appears like Onesimus stole money from his master and ran away. And many scholars think, some think he went to Ephesus where Paul was um, preaching. Some think he went to Rome where Paul was in prison. We're not 100% sure. Uh, Most scholars think it's Rome. So he goes to this big population center where he can blend in, where he can escape. And to get a start, he steals money and heads on out. And somewhere in this process, he meets this guy named Paul. And Paul preaches the gospel to him. He finds Jesus. He he gives his life to Jesus. He he makes Jesus his king. He submits his life to Jesus. And somewhere along that way, his heart, you've got a big problem now. You've got two believers and you've got this runaway slave. And what you have to understand is slaves had virtually no rights in this society. They were property. And for an offense like this, they could just be summarily executed. Women in this culture had virtually no rights and were treated as property. See, um, a couple weeks ago, I I told you about the, uh, well, I didn't tell you about it. You know about it. I read you a couple of lines of the Declaration of Independence, the document that our country was founded on, right? That we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men and women are created equal, right? And, And endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, right? But that was not self-evident in ancient times. It was not self-evident in the Roman Empire. In fact, in the Greek caste system, listen to what Aristotle says. For, For that some should rule and others be ruled is a thing not only necessary, but expedient from the hour of their birth. Some are marked out for subjection, others for rule. That's one of the most influential philosophers in history, right? And that was the the teaching. That was the culture. That's what they believed about people. And so as the truth of the gospel, as these early eyewitnesses of the resurrection burst out into the Roman Empire with the message of Jesus and then taught people to live the way of Jesus, to submit their lives to Jesus as their king, Things began to change. And over the next couple hundred years, incredible things happened as followers of Jesus um, treated women in this incredible way in the culture, revolutionary way, as they they would have a practice of exposing babies or leaving them out to die, especially little girls. The Christians would come in and rescue them and start orphanages. As the plague would sweep through the Roman Empire, you know, the real, the, the plague, plague. As the plague would sweep through the Roman Empire, they would stay at great risk to their lives and care for people. As people would flee and leave their loved ones just to die alone, 
they would stay and care for them. And it revolutionized the world. I'm, you you want to know what ended up taking over the Roman Empire? It was followers of Jesus that lived their life in such a way that the, that, that the gospel became so attractive in a culture eventually, right? Even though they were persecuted for it. Now, and so what you're going to see in this simple little book of Philemon is as you begin to see these things, these ideas, these teachings of Jesus worked out in the church. And Paul is going to write this letter and send it back with Onesimus or Onesimus back to his master Philemon. And to understand the drama of this, the whole culture would expect, in fact, the whole culture would almost demand that if someone steals money from you, a slave, and runs away, you better kill them. You better execute them. And Paul is going to ask Philemon to do something unthinkable in the culture. He's going to ask him to forgive him and welcome his back, not as a slave, but as a brother. And we read this today, and and actually, if you, you know, you've probably been in a college class that goes, well, the Bible actually, you know, has been used to support slavery, which is true. It's been used to twist and support slavery um, before the, the, the uh, Civil War. But when you understand it in its context, the scripture is so revolutionary in what Paul is doing, the way Paul is undermining the very concept and so what we're going to see here, Philemon is really a window into the whole landscape of how the cross and how the gospel radically changes the way we relate to each other and radically changes the way we view the world. And I'm just going to kind of give you the bottom line up front for, for this series, and then we're going to kind of talk about some other stuff today as in the first part of this letter and come back to this next week. But really the big idea is the cross is where the unreconcilable are reconciled. The cross is the thing. The gospel is the thing that brings people together that would otherwise never come together, that brings unity in situations where there can otherwise not be unity. It's a, and that's what we're going to see. So if you have your Bibles and want to follow along, we're going to be in Philippians or Philemon. Philippians is there too. Philemon chapter one. Well, Philemon verse one. Starting out, it says this, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Appia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Philemon, his wife and son, Paul is sending this letter to them, but not just to them, because he's about ready to ask an incredible thing. And he doesn't want this just to be a, a personal thing that's just for them. He wants this to be a demonstration to the, <clears throat> to the community of faith, to everyone watching around this. He wants this to be a demonstration of this is what the gospel does to your relationships. This is what the gospel does. And just a quick note on this is I'm so glad online church family that you're with us. And I'm so glad that we have this tool during the season in our country where, um, you know, some people are sheltering and those kind of things. And 
we can, we can fellowship that way. But the church comes together and gathers, and the church has for thousands of years, and there's power in that, and that is the intention of God, to gather in community and to worship him together. And throughout history, even today, in many parts of this world, Christians risked their lives to come together and gather. Now, don't misunderstand me. If you need to, to, to stay at home during this season, absolutely do that. But I'm just saying, there's, technology is wonderful, but it never replaces the actual gathering of believers, okay? So, where was I? I got lost. The bunny trail. I didn't get a lot of sleep last night, so just, you know, a forewarning if I go down some bunny trails. So Paul greets them, and they've got this church, and, and he goes on, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. I'm just so thankful for you because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I hear about your love. See, another place Paul writes, you know, the really the big deal thing, the thing that really matters is faith in Jesus that works itself out in love. And so in this passage, he goes, you're doing it. I see this incredible love you have for this little gathering that's meeting in your home. This like beachhead for the kingdom of God, this beachhead for the church in your little part of the world. And you have such an incredible role and such a love. And I'm so, so proud of you. I pray, verse six, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. In other words, hey, um, we're in a partnership here. I want you to understand, I don't see this as some sort of just like, I'm up here as the leader and, and you're down there. No, this is a partnership for the sake of the gospel. And do you realize uh, we have a value around here um, that we'll tell you, we, we talk about in Church 101, which you should do if you haven't done yet. Um, the value is not just pastors. And what that means is that we believe that every believer is called to full-time ministry, that this is a partnership, that it's all of us reaching out to the community and loving those in our circle of influence and speaking the truth and influencing people towards Jesus and praying for people. Um, you know, some of us, this is our full-time gig. This is what we do. But we're all, every one of us should see ourselves in that role. Uh, the big theological term is the priesthood of all believers. Okay? So, I pray that your partnership, it's a partnership. He goes on like, like this in verse 7. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the heart's of the Lord's people. I mean, he is just building this guy up. Can you imagine when this letter is read in this church, this gathering, and he's like, uh, all right, I'm gonna read this out loud. And as he reads this out loud, it's just like building this guy. I'd be a little embarrassed, right? I'd be like, ah, oh, shucks. Wouldn't you? All right, let me just tell you something. Paul is a super effective communicator, and he is buttering him up. Because <laughs> he's about ready to ask him to do something shocking and very difficult in this culture. And so, but he's saying everything that's true about this guy. Philemon is a stellar 
stellar guy. All right, verse 8. Therefore, because of all that good stuff I just said about you. Remember that? Got that in your mind? Good. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. I have some authority as an apostle of Jesus, and there's some implied authority in your life as the one who led you to Jesus and your spiritual father in the faith, and I could just say, hey, dude, you need to do this. But come on, that's not a very effective tool in leadership, is it? I could make you do it, but you're not going to do it out of love, are you? I could, I, I could force this, but see, Paul knows. He, he wants Philemon to do something because it's on his heart, right? And so he says, I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. I love you. I know you love me. We have a common bond. We're in a partnership together. And that's why as I'm about ready to ask you to do something very difficult, I'm going to trust that you're going to do it. And then he, he adds this. It, it is none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And now he gets to the punchline that I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. And now here's what we did. Just imagine this. If you're in church together and like he's reading this out loud probably because he's the leader you know or maybe one of the other people is reading it and you get to that part and and like you could hear a pin drop everybody's looking over because everybody knows yeah that's your runaway slave that's the one that everybody in the society is expecting you to summarily execute you need to teach a lesson here if you don't teach a lesson here all these you you know what kind of precedent are you going to set buddy can you feel the tension in the room at this point. And so for this week, this is where we're going to pause in Philemon. Because I really want to dig into this. This little phrase, the basis of love. I want to appeal to you on the basis of love. Because Paul, in all his writings, he's so brilliant at doing this. On one of the best chapters, it's so epic. I've been saving it because I'm like, no, I'm not ready to preach that yet. I want to, you know, wait till this whole, like, Season's over, and we have more people back in the room, you know? Acts 17. You want to go read something that's appealing to people in just brilliant communication. This is all of Paul's works in writing. I mean, the guy's just amazing in the way he communicates, and the way he communicates love, even when he needs to say really hard things to people. And that's what I want to dig into here as, as we just pause and talk about for a little bit here this morning? How do you appeal to people on the basis of love? Because when it comes to all these tensions, uh, um, man, I get on social media and there's so many things I'm just like, and then I'm like, my wife says, you're a pastor. <laughs> True story. Anybody else? Your wife? Yeah. I saw a really good meme going around, like, this is why you should listen to your wife. It was true. 
guys, uh, you know, your wives oftentimes have uh, a little more level-headed judgment, don't they, when we get a little bit spun up? Yeah, listen to them, that's good. God has put them there in your life for a reason. Okay, but how do you appeal to people on the basis of love? How do you appeal to people in such a way that you make the gospel attractive to people? How, how do we have conversations? Has anybody noticed we're, um, you know, in the midst of all this craziness, we're also in, the, in an election year? Really? Ah, really? How do, you, how do you, like, navigate this as a follower of Jesus? Because you have opinions. You have beliefs. You have values you stand for, right? I'm, you know? Wherever, wherever you're at, this isn't a political statement, wherever you're at, you do, right? And a lot of those you feel very strongly about. How, how do you communicate? How do you, how do you try to reach people on the basis of love in the middle of this season? And, and here's, I've got five things for you here today. And we won't take real long on any of them, but here, here's what I'd like you to do. Um, I'd like you to either pull out your phone and, and a note app or something. I'd like you to write these things down. Or you can wait to the end if you really want and take a picture of the screen. That's okay too. But take some notes because here's what I think is as we go through these things, one of these things is going to feel like, ouch. That might actually be your wife or husband elbowing you, you know, or your neighbor elbowing you. So you pay attention to that too, right? But but one of these things is going to feel like, ouch, just that thing of like, ooh, I need to work on that, right? And so I'm not asking you to remember or go do all five of these necessarily, but I want you to pay attention. When when God plants that thing and you're like, man, I really need to pay attention to that. And that that, that be the one thing you take away and you work on this week, okay? So here's, here's the first thing. How do you appeal to people on the basis of love in the midst of this crazy season that we're in? And I think the first one, some of these things are going to sound familiar because they're so important. We talk about them frequently. The first one is this. Meet people where they are with grace and truth. I want you to help me with this. And you two uh, that are joining us online at home, out loud, I want you to say grace and truth, okay? Meet people with grace and truth. All right, one more time. You weren't so sure about that. Ready? Meet people with grace and truth. This comes from um, the Apostle John who said Jesus was full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Now, oftentimes, here's what happens with us, and you'll know who you are in the room. Some of you are full of grace, but you're a little wishy-washy on the, like, you know, anytime you have to speak something hard, you don't do that very well. But you love everyone, right? And they know it. Others of you, oh, you're off the scales on, on the truth part, right? But you don't have much grace. That's why you need to listen to your wife. You don't have to raise your hands, but you know who you are, right? So what the Apostle John tells us about Jesus is he was full of both grace and truth. Not like 50-50 and sometimes this one, sometimes this. He was full of it. And because he was full of grace and truth, he both brought, spoke truth into people's lives that they needed to hear, sometimes hard truth, but he also had incredible grace for those who were incredibly different than him and not really living lives who, that, you know, lived up to a standard that is scriptural, you know? 
He had this incredible ability. In fact, one of the classic stories of this is when the woman who's caught in adultery is thrown down before him by the religious leaders, right? And the first question you should ask is, where's the dude? I'm pretty sure the law of Moses said they're both supposed to be here. No, they just brought the woman in. Um, and so, so they come in and then they say, hey, this woman was caught in the very act. What are you gonna do? Here, here's some stones. You can stone her. And he bends down, Jesus does, and starts writing in the sand. And then he looks up and, you know, scholars have wondered what he said and speculated that he's probably writing sins that they've committed because he's Jesus. Uh, so he's writing sins they've committed in the, in the sand, right? And they're kind of watching this and squirming a little. And he looks up and he goes, hey, how about this? You who um, has no sin, whoever has no sin, why don't you cast the first stone? Then he stands back down, he stoops down and starts writing again. And I don't know, I'm making this up, but I think he writes and then he gives a, a piercing glance into one of the old guy's eyes, right? Because <laughs> it says, I, I'm making that up, I don't know. <laughs> but it says that from the oldest to the youngest, which is significant, isn't it? Because it seems like the older you get, the more you realize you're not right all the time, right? Or at least we should, out of humility. And you realize, man, I've made a mess of some things in my life. I've not done everything right, right? Okay, so anyway, from the older to the younger, they begin to peel off. And he looks up and there's nobody left except for him and the woman. And and, uh, he asks them, where's those that condemn you? And she says, they're gone. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Grace. The law says you're supposed to die. I don't condemn you. There's forgiveness available for you. There's freedom. There's life available for you. Now, go and sin no more. Ooh, yeah, ouch. That's truth, yes. But it's grace and truth. Grace and truth. And that's so important to to keep in mind when it comes to to the way we relate to each other, that we meet people with grace and truth, that there's always a grace towards people. That's the way um, Jesus approached people. He approached all kinds of people that way throughout the Gospels, if you go and read it. Now, number two, understand your true identity. I think this is so critical, especially when we come into these heated seasons where um, it's just uh, it's just a fever pitch and the angst and all this and speaking to each other. And especially, honestly, in election years, right? It, it is one thing we have to keep in mind as followers of Jesus is that our primary identity is in, G- in Jesus. It's in the kingdom of heaven. It's as citizens of heaven. Paul puts it this way in the book of Philippians. He says, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there. When Jesus returns, right? The Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. And see, this changes so many things in the way we relate to others and in the the level of, um, the level of angst we experience in our heart towards things that happen in the here and now, in the day-to-day. If we could keep this just centered and focused, my citizenship is in heaven. How many of you have traveled to another country? How many of you didn't get too worried or 
care too much about you know, the things that were the local issues, all the political things people were spun out on. Now, you just ate some good food, right? Some tacos. If you've been on a Mexico trip with us, some good tacos, you know? You, you laid out on the beach. You weren't too concerned about it because your citizenship was in heaven, right? And this is a different way of thinking about it, but this needs to be our primary allegiance. And what this means is our primary allegiance is to our king who is Jesus. And in a sense, all of us, Peter says, live as aliens and strangers. Some of you are like, that's easy for me. That you live in this place as understanding that this is not my ultimate and final home. Now, don't misunderstand me. I believe it is vital for followers of Jesus to be involved on all levels of government, to vote. Uh, Proverbs says, where the righteous rule, the people rejoice. And there's a reason for that. And there's a reason, you know, 98%, 95, 98% of our, the founders of this nation identified as Christians. We know they all were not perfect, obviously, and perhaps we're all not even genuine, but they all identified as Christians and the vast majority had a, a very um, Judeo-Christian worldview, which is why we've experienced a country that has the freedoms and the liberties and the checks and the balances and the freedom to worship and the freedom to, to worship uninfer- without the government infi- interfering, you know, and the freedom for people from other religions to, to worship. We've experienced, you don't, you don't really, you know, I mean, you don't appreciate it because you grew up with it. But I know people in China, in different countries around this world, where you have no idea what you have. So I think it's absolutely vital for Christians to be involved and to be active. But how you go about that and the tone with which you go about that makes a big difference. That's what we're going to talk about in just a second, right? So I think it's absolutely, you know, I think it's great to be patriotic. We live in a great country. God's blessed us with a great country. But in the midst of all that, we have to, because we're approaching this place in our nation where, um, you know, people who, who base their life on the values of Scripture are no longer the, the large majority. Now, they still carry a lot of ideas from that. But that really does impact the way we live. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So understand your true identity. If you don't understand your true identity, then what's going to happen is you will get your heart. And gosh, guys, I'm preaching to myself here too, okay? Your heart will get so full of angst about things that are going on in our country that you'll lose your dedication and your focus on Jesus. And honestly, you lose your peace and your hope and your understanding that God is in control still. So we get involved, we be active. We we'd do all those things, but at the same time, you got to keep your true identity in mind, right? All right, number three, and this is this. Understand that people are not the enemy. You're like, wait a minute, that was the main point like three weeks ago. You're right. Because I think we need something we need to be reminded of over and over again, particularly in seasons like this. People are not the enemy. That, that scripture tells us there is a spiritual realm that, that the enemy wants to kill, steal, and, detro- and destroy. That the enemy wants to cause conflict in your family. 
and tear people's lives apart. That the enemy wants you to fall into um, the trap of addiction in your life. That the enemy wants to create chaos. He wants to tear brothers and sisters and fathers and sons and, and daughters apart and destroy. I think we're seeing a lot of that around our nation right now, aren't we? But we understand this isn't just a people problem. When we're dealing with these problems, it isn't just a people problem. There's people problems that needs to be dealt with, you know. But it's not just a people problem. This is a spiritual problem. And the primary tool that you've been given is prayer. In fact, Paul later in, in Timothy, he will tell you, pray for your leaders. Pray for your leaders. And I, I think that's such a vital thing. It's one of the primary tools we've been given as followers of Jesus to impact this world. Pray, pray, pray. Pray for your family, but don't stop there. Pray for our country. Pray for those relationships. Pray for those people at work. Pray for those people that are just driving you crazy on social media. Have any of those? You don't have to admit it but I've seen some of your Facebook feeds, so I think I, I know. <laughs> Pray for him, right? Understand that people are not the enemy. Paul said our struggle is not against flesh and blood. All right, number four, be wise in the way we approach our culture. This is so important. That's just what I said. Our culture is moving, and really um, the hard part is that if you grew up, you know, in the... the I'm not that old, right? But I remember when I was a kid, you're like, yeah, you're old. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid, our country was a totally different place, right? As far as the value set that most people held that was still anchored in scripture, we've, we've moved far from that in you know, a short period of time. And it's just the truth. And so you got to be wise. Paul says it this way in Colossians. You can write this down. Colossians 4, 5. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Again, grace. There's that grace thing. Tell you what, here's how I want your conversation to be. Full of grace. And what is salt? Salt's a preservative. And some interpretations of this are full of grace, seasoned with a little bit of salt. You don't want too much salt, do you? Some of you are pretty salty. <laughs> full of grace, seasoned with salt. Don't hesitate to speak the truth. You need to speak the truth. But be full of grace. Be wise in the way you approach people. Now, uh, Paul also says this in 1 Corinthians 5. He says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? In other words, you know, when it comes to fellow believers, you point out things that aren't in line with Scripture and we should have a common ground that, that we have a conversation on. But I, I should not expect people who do not follow God to act like people who do. That's reasonable, right? And it's, it's wise to approach people in that kind of a way in our culture. The other thing regarding this is, man, in some conversations and heated conversations, it's wise to know when you just need to stay out of the fray, when you just need to not hit the enter button, right? Not hit that 
It's wise, isn't it? In fact, Jesus did this. Uh, Jesus knew when not to get trapped into conversations. There's a, there's a classic time when the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders are trying to trap him. And he just straight up says, hey, I'm, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Eh, I'm not playing your game. I'm not playing your game. And sometimes it's wise just to know when not to play the game. When you're being baited into trying to look like an idiot or you're being baited into trying to say something that's just going to stir up animosity. This is, I think, especially true in conversations in social media, right? Now, social media is a great platform because it allows um, people who otherwise don't have a voice to share uh, things that maybe isn't being shared, right? Of course, everything on social media you see is true, right? So, yeah. But what I'm saying, it's a great tool, but also the way you act on it does affect how people see Jesus. And so the tone you use is very, very important, which leads us to the fifth point. Understand the difference between making a point and making a difference. It is very easy in our culture to make a point, isn't it? And sometimes a point does need to be made. But the way you go about it, oftentimes a point being made does not last very long, but you can make a difference. You can make a difference. Jesus says this, you are the light of the world. He says, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You are the light of the world. I think you need to hear that. You are the light of the world. Church, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You know, a nasty comment makes a point, doesn't it? Whereas a personal story or a concern, a personal experience shared or well-researched information shared in a kind, gracious way sometimes can make a real difference. And while one can drive people away, the other one can draw people closer, right? A gentle answer turns away wrath. Sometimes there's a truth that you need to say or share or express, but the way you do it, you can either just make a point or you can actually make a difference, right? A kind, well-worded letter to a public official that actually thanks them for their service and presents your case actually might make a difference. If enough of you did that, in addition to simply hitting that button, right? Anybody feel that? Come on, be honest. If enough of you did that, I think actually it can make a significant difference, can't it? Um, I think running for political office, like I said earlier, I think Christians should be involved. Now, you know I'm not political. You know I'd probably challenge you to find anything specifically political that I, that I, I say up here, right? I'm not, you know, our church reaches people that are on different sides of the aisle, right? But when Christians, believers who love Jesus get involved, it goes better for people. And maybe some of you, God is actually tapping on your heart. We have a former mayor 
and a current mayor that attend our church here. And I'm grateful for their service. It's not an easy thing to do in this day and age, is it? But people who get in it for the right reasons to serve, man, that can actually make a difference. can make a difference. So there's our five, guys. Just to recap, anybody feel any ouches? Come on. Only two of you? All right, well, that message was for me, I guess, and us three. All right. I challenge you. What is God challenging you to take and really take to heart? When it comes to expressing, when it comes to approaching and appealing to people on the basis of love like Paul did to Philemon because he's getting ready to ask something very difficult. But the way he goes about it, he appeals on the basis of love. Are you appealing to people on the basis of love? Because if you are, it's going to look like these things. Are, do you really love people? Or do you feel the love in this kind of a stressful season beginning to seep out of your heart? If you do, go to the Holy Spirit. Go to the Lord and ask him to renew that in your heart. That's why prayer is so important because it connects you to him. And it's so easy to lose that in stressful, difficult times like these. How do we appeal the people on the basis of love, guys? What do you need to work on? I challenge you this week to take it to God in prayer and allow him to work in your heart. Would you stand? Father, I just want to say thank you for my friends here. And Lord, if there's anyone in the room that has not given their life to you, that has not said, Jesus, you are my king. I need your forgiveness. I want to live my life for you. I confess that I need you and I can't make it to God on my own. I pray they would do that in the quietness of their heart right now, Lord, and give their lives to you. Commit to live their lives for you. And Lord, for each and every one of us that have been followers of you for some time or just new, would you just show us how to best represent you in this world? in every one of our interactions, that we would be appealing to people on the basis of love. That you would give us a real heart and a real love for those that you've placed us. Our circle, Lord, that's our responsibility. That you would give us a heart to reach those people primarily and first for Jesus. And all the other stuff's important, maybe, and you'll show us when it is but that our primary motivation would be to make the gospel look good to people. That we would present you to people in the, that we would appeal to people from a basis of love. That we would share the gospel through our lifestyles, Lord. We love you. Pray your grace over each person here. In Jesus' name, amen.